Welcome to the Mentor of the Month podcast. I'm Stuart Anderson. The Mentor of the Month program has been part of Crown Council since the very beginning. And we believe that in order to copy genius, the genius of others, you have to be willing to ask them. So in this Mentor of the Month podcast, Steve Anderson spends some time with Crown Council member Tommy Neighbors. Dr. Neighbors practices out of Nashville, Tennessee. And when he's not in his office, he spends time lecturing and researching about the importance of oral bacteria and its role in the health of the body. Uh, if you don't know, the Crown Council is an international association of leading dental teams that are all dedicated to seeking out and sharing best practices in order to improve the quality of care in every area of dentistry. This program is one of just many resources available to Crown Council members to use to help their dental teams build a culture of success as we believe that the most important asset that any dental team has is their team and their ability to work together and care for patients. If you like the content of this program, there's so much more inside Crown Council, hundreds and hundreds of programs and years worth of Mentor of the Months, skill training videos, powerful team meetings, and much more. A link will be included with this podcast. So uh, enjoy Steve Anderson and Tommy Neighbors. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month program. This is Steve Anderson. Excited to have you with us today, as well as our special mentor, Dr. Tommy Neighbors, who uh, all of you are very familiar with. Let me just give you a quick little background and context for today's conversation. Uh, Dr. Neighbors, as uh, all of you know, uh, practices in Nashville, Tennessee. He's had his practice there for over 15 years. Practices uh, right in the heart of country music, right across the street from the Ryman Theater. And uh, he is a 1995 graduate of the University of Tennessee College of Dentistry, uh, also an accredited member of the Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry, uh, a great cosmetic dentist in his own right, and is uh, a pioneer, along with his dad, in the area of uh, the true nature of periodontal disease and treating disease. Uh, he is the co-founder and the clinical director of our No More Hygiene pro uh, program, uh, which prescribes uh, all of the treatment protocols around what we call modular periodontal therapy. And uh, so, Tommy, we've talked um, over the years in this format on the Mentor of the Month. So much has changed since we talked uh, the last time. It's been a while. And uh, what I wanted to do today is give everybody an inside look at your practice. Those that have attended No More Hygiene, have, uh, most have been in your practice and seen what you do live. Uh, many have not. Uh, if they've uh, just listened to you in this format or just heard about your amazing reputation. Uh, so we wanted to do kind of a up close and personal. You're actually talking from your practice today in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, things that have changed uh, really since you started the practice 15 years ago, clinically, as well as uh, any other way that has led to what you do today. Uh, and I'll just add this one thing before, uh, before we get started. Uh, one of the things that got me, got my attention uh, early on with Dr. Neighbor's practice is that uh, his hygiene team produces as much as he does. 
And that's not because he's a slacker either. Mm -hmm. um, most practices we see will produce maybe 20% of total production comes out of hygiene. In Dr. Neighbor's office, it's, it's 50%. And that's with a very high level of clinical and cosmetic production coming out of that same facility. So uh, a remarkable practice uh, has really refined the treatment, presentation, everything to do with periodontal disease, making patients healthy and uh, saving them, extending their lives uh, in many cases. So with that, uh, Dr. Neighbors, uh, give us a little perspective here, before and after. What has changed in not only just in periodontal disease, but in your practice uh, that then has helped you be successful today? Well, man, Steve, I appreciate it. Appreciate uh, having the opportunity to come in here and talk. It's um, interesting when you when you do this from your practice because I've told everyone to stay out, but we I can hear some rustling back behind the door. So hey, you know you have to get to meet some of my team members here uh, before before long. Also, uh, but you know what what's changed? You know when you said 1995, I kind of go back and I think, man, that, that seems like that was not that long ago. Um, you know, but when you look at how quickly you know, lives go by, much less professions and careers. It, it's interesting for me to see what has changed just in dentistry, you know, and I, I think probably one of the biggest changes that I've seen in dentistry is sort of our imaging capability. Uh, and I think, you know, we started out, you know, when I, when I left dental school, you know, we thought the greatest invention in the history of dentistry uh, was sort of the automatic processor, right? Because uh, my dad was a dentist and I used to have to develop his film and we had fixer developer and rinse tanks and have to hand dry. And so you would literally take half an hour to 45 minutes doing an FMX and then mounting it. And all, all of the, you know, the, if you remember the dark rooms and the things and some of our younger dentists have no idea what that is, but I haven't been, you know, I've been practicing, I guess, 20 years. And that doesn't seem like that was that, that far away. You know, so when you look at where we are with cone beam and imaging and what we can do, uh, I don't think any of us would think about now placing a dental implant using a PA, especially a PA that right. we had to hand develop, right? Uh, we want an image. And why do we want an image? Because we want to be able to see where we're going before we go there. And, you know, and I think as I sort of bring this into context, when we talk about periodontal disease, we have the ability now uh, and probably the biggest change in the history of treating periodontal disease is the ability to use DNA testing or diagnostic testing. People call it salivary diagnostics, sal salivary testing, and what you have the ability to do is see where you're going before you go there. Because not all infections are the same, not all genetics are the same, and so it gives us the ability to personalize our care for each individual patient, as opposed to just randomly going at a patient with everybody getting the same treatment with whatever modality that they think based on the last course that they attended or the last article they read or the last dental town post, right? So, and I, I think testing is probably the biggest indicator now of specifically where we can go when we treat disease and not really to, to kind of immediately jump into while we're having the conversation, but I think Science has led us in healthcare to gather data before we treat. And I think imaging is huge 
but I don't think people really know how far we've come in microbiological testing either. Um, and, and granted, what we're learning about the disease process in the mouth has far more to do with the body health uh, than it does with teeth anyway. And if any article that you read is focusing primarily on teeth, then we're really misunderstanding what periodontal disease actually is. So anyway, I know you're going to ask the questions. Right, so, I'm just kind of spouting off here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, so all right. So here's here's a question: If if you were to compare a dentist that does not do salivary diagnostics versus one who does, what difference does that make in how you treatment plan uh, the treatment of periodontal disease? Isn't it all the same? Don't you just scale and root plane everything, and that takes care of it? What so? What's the difference? Well, I think one of the things that we sort of left in dental school was our training in microbiology. You know, I, I think once we, we get out, we tend to really start ad advancing our ability and our mechanical knowledge of bonding or our mechanical knowledge of surgery, right? On how to fix things or how to implant things and learning, you know, what porphyromonas gingivalis was. I mean, we, we learned that in our third or fourth year of perio training in class but we never actually got to apply that to what we actually saw, right? Because even 10, 15 years ago, we really didn't have a salivary diagnostic test that was very predictable. What did you ask me? I completely got off track there. So what's the difference if, if oh, uh, the oh, difference on, between on, a dentist on, that uses diagnostics versus right. one who doesn't, what kind of a difference is making the treatment plan? Well, when you look at what we know about microbiology, you know, if you just test, but you don't really understand what microbiology is, then I think there's a, a missing component as well. No different than if you took a cone beam, but didn't really understand how to read it, right? So the technology itself, without the knowledge and understanding of the process, is sometimes very ineffective. And so one of the things that testing will allow you to do is, is see what's there. And what we know about microbiology in an oral pathogen standpoint is that some microbes are very significant in terms of overall health, and some are not. Some are very tissue invasive, meaning that these microbes, they don't care if you have a periodontal pocket or not. They, they certainly don't care how many times you scale and root plane it or irrigate it or anything else because they're in the tissue. No different than if you had strep throat and you just focused on cleaning the throat as opposed to a, maybe a systemic antibiotic that you might need in order to get rid of strep throat. So I think it, it gives you insight on the type of disease that you're fighting. And if it is tissue invasive and it is more serious in terms of the type of microbes, then you have to change your approach uh, on what you do. And I think um, that's probably the biggest difference is that if you don't test and you're just giving everyone the same treatment, well, first of all, is your treatment antimicrobial or is it still mechanical? And so there's so many varied forms of treatment. I, I, I believe all of us need to look more at an antimicrobial approach to inflammation and how we, we treat inflammation. So that, that's kind of a broad question, but the biggest, and, you know, the biggest thing is if you test, you know what you're going after and it helps you customize your game plan. Got it. Okay, so uh, you had an article published in the AACD journal recently where you called, I believe you called what you do cosmetic perio. 
And <laughs> if you didn't say that, you've said it before. What is cosmetic perio? Why, you've used that phrase to describe what you do. So what, what is it? Well, it, it's mainly a phrase to get dentists to listen to the course. It's really just perio. <laughs> Okay, all right. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I mean, there is a component to it. I think one of the things that we learned in going through the uh, accreditation process with American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry uh, was that tissue health was paramount in achieving your aesthetic goals. And granted, they were aesthetic-oriented goals, but the, the point was if you did a, a beautiful six or eight-unit anterior veneer case, but you had tissue inflammation, as a result of that case, or in com combination with that case, you could fail the case. And if you don't understand what triggers inflammation and you assume it's a biologic with problem, and you don't understand that tissue restoration or that tissue tooth interface, then you could really be chasing your tail on really how to resolve inflammation. And from a cosmetic standpoint, uh, to get ideal results, you want an ideal platform or you want an ideal mouth or an ideal frame uh, to put your restorations. And so when we talk about it in terms of aesthetic dentistry, we really, you know, outside of the health benefit are really trying to create ideal smile design and with that ideal tissue health. Uh, all right, so uh, I'm gonna, I'm going to pose a question to you. I'm going to challenge your clinical ethics. <laughs> you have a huge cosmetic case. They're fired up about the cosmetic case and they have some serious periodontal issues. Right. And your fear, and I'm not speaking to you specifically, but I've heard this from other dentists, right. is that you know they're going to do one or the other, but they're not going to do both. Right. So how do, how do you address yeah. that? Because you, you deal with those all the time. Well, you know. Procedures are real. So how, how do you treatment plan that? How do you present it? What do you do? Well, it's an easy question. I mean, it's an easy question to answer. I mean, obviously, if one veneer case is going to make or break whether or not I have a good month or not, then I, I don't need the case anyway. I mean, we can't okay. be so stressed out that we're going to pick one or the other. And if that patient doesn't do the veneer case, then we're going under. I mean, then we got bigger issues. Uh, I really think, you know, the obvious answer is we got to get the patient healthy for a multitude of reasons. I mean, number one, um, if you've got a perio problem and you're going in there and trying to do an aesthetic case, uh, all of you that do veneer cases or aesthetics and whatever implants, if you go in there and work in a diseased site, how hard is it to work? Right? I mean, you've got weeping tissue, you have bleeding tissue. We got to get master impressions for cases like this that are, that are perfect. And when you've got bleeding, we all know that's a major no-no. Uh, and I'm not talking about the health side of it. I'm just talking about how much easier it is to do a case when it's healthy. So my th thinking is that if I don't want black triangles because of, you know, of some margin that I missed or some tissue response that I wasn't expected because my tissue bed is so unpredictable that this patient has perio and what are they gonna look like when I put them in temporaries and I go in Therosol or we go in and, and we clean up a lot of stuff and then they come back and there's black triangles or I've, or I've missed a margin because of tissue uh, resorption or shrinkage. I mean, there's a, I mean, if for nothing else, you wanna go through tissue therapy so you have a better case and so I, I would say, you know, I've never had a patient 
that says, I only want to look good. I don't really care if this is healthy or not. You know, if I'm about to make, you know, a 15, 20 and up, you know, thousand dollar investment in my mouth, a $1,500 perio case to really make sure they're healthy uh, is not a roadblock. And frankly, if they're ready to commit, then do that for free. I mean, because it's just helping everybody, right? I've done cases before where I've, I've had a, a young man that was saving money because he had a tetracycline stain that was horrible and he saved money for 10 years and rolled into the practice one day with cash money and said, I've been saving for this. I've been calling around. This is all that I have. And he had perio. And I was like, well, this is what we have to do then to get this ready because you've been working to get it this, to this point. So we're just going to do the case. We didn't even make an issue of that because it makes you, you didn't more. tell you didn't tell him to go home and save more and we'll see you in I, didn't. I said how long i look at my watch and i go well i've got another patient uh no i mean it, it's one of those things that you know if a, a case like that comes down to a patient going to do a fifteen hundred dollar a thousand whatever it is versus a case of the magnitude and I mean, this is a whole other, another thing, but I get off track, but it's like when we're looking at implants now, because I've been doing a lot of implant education and I do not know a single orthopedic surgeon or any surgeon for that matter that would implant a knee or a joint in a diseased site. I mean, it's flat out just crazy to me that we would be looking at doing titanium implants and surgeries and mouths that have lost their teeth because of perio and still might have some remaining teeth that just haven't succumbed yet. But we're really willing to go in there and do surgery in diseased sites without verifying that those sites are healthy. Uh, and not to get on a soapbox, but that's a whole nother element. When you go through and get the platform healthy or the tissue healthy, I don't care if it's cosmetics or oral surgery or implant surgery, um, I think your overall outcomes are going to be better. Your patients are going to heal faster. They're going to be a lot less likely to get some sort of systemic issue as a result of perhaps bleeding tissue. And I just think it's, it's a, there's a no-lose proposition to get the tissue healthy first. So uh, cosmetic perio, safe to say then that perio is cosmetic dentistry. Absolutely. That perio is implant dentistry. Perio is all of those things. Perio is the fundamental. It's not two separate things. It's not. You know, the mouth is not a tooth holder. I mean, it, it's way more than a device that holds our teeth. Right. And in fact, it's what determines if we have teeth, how long we have teeth, and if our mouth is a reservoir of disease. I was reading in an article the other day that if you swallow one teaspoon of saliva, you're getting about five billion bacteria into the GI tract. And so people that's don't. All? Yeah, that's all. So <laughs> it's really a mute point. Yeah. So. Uh, but people don't understand the microbiome, you know, there's been a lot of research done on the, on the gut and the microbiome and the second largest microbiome in the body outside of the gut is the mouth, is the oral cavity. Wow. Okay. Uh, you do as much in hygiene as you do in restorative dentistry. Yes. How? 
Well, I mean, I'll probably add a caveat to that too, is we're also not contracted with any insurance providers, um, which, you and, know, and even, even when you were, you did. Absolutely. Right. But that was the first thing that we thought might go, or we might have an issue when we did drop a contract because getting perio approved is sometimes rather difficult anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you talk to patients about disease as opposed to about teeth cleaning, they get it. They all understand about testing and science. And I was uh, talking to you about an article. I'm going to hold it up just so people can see it. This was in uh, Men's Journal, July of 2018. Can you see this? Yep. It is one of the most scientific articles that I've read out. I mean, more so than even that last ADA journal that came out about Perio. And it's talking- In, in Men's Journal? In Men's Journal, I know. <laughs> I know it. The scientific source. Yeah, I'm telling you, if you want an overview of it, look at July of 2018 uh, in Men's Journal. It's okay. fantastic. I don't even remember why I brought that up. Um, do you remember? Well, yeah. yeah. So the question is, how do you do as much in, right. in hygiene as you do restoratively? Uh, the biggest thing is how we talk about it. And, you know, um, if you think about what periodontal disease is. It is an infectious disease of the mouth caused by pathogenic bacteria that erodes your skull, right? We wanna call it bone loss and we wanna call it some bleeding and we wanna call it pocket depths are increasing. All of which your patient goes, you know, heard it before, I have no idea. I have heard though that gum disease is related to heart disease. So tell me more about that, right? Or I've heard that, you know, I'm a diabetic and I know that long-term my mouth needs to be healthy. Tell me, tell me more about the connection between diabetes and the oral health. So how we talk about it is, is critical because, I mean, the reality is if you had an infection that was eroding your head, you know, which if you think about where the oral cavity is, I mean, we're just under the ethmoid sinus cavity right here, which is just under the brain. And then if you look where the carotid arteries are, I mean, you're within an inch of the carotid artery space and we've got an infection that's powerful enough to erode cortical, uh, I mean, um, cancels and maybe cortical for all I know, um, in terms of the upper and lower jaw structures, the eroding the bone of your head. And we have a lot of ways that we talk about it that, that just don't create that kind of impact. And I don't tell that, you know, I don't go that specific, but if I had an infection in my arm that was eroding the bone of my arm, uh, any MD would, would have you in the emergency room and, on, and, and probably in critical care. But we have infections according to the, uh, for those of you in the ADA, the, the article that just came out, hang on, I'll show you. This just came out in the ADA, July, ADA, and ADA News. See that? Both of them talking about the prevalence of periodontitis in U.S. adults. And it says here an estimated 40, 42% of U.S. adults over age 30 years uh, or, or over have one or more teeth uh, have periodontitis. And almost 8% have severe. And that's over age 30. So... You know, we're talking about a huge population that has a disease process that's beyond gingivitis at this point. So people want to know. 
All right. So I want to highlight, I want to highlight something you said, lest those listening missed it. You said twice. It's how we talk about it. Mm -hmm. Who's talking about it? Our hygienists are talking about it. And who else? Well, definitely me. I think I'm, that's where I, we're getting at. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? Yeah. Okay. So, well, I mean, so I, that, you, know, you take this for granted. You take this for granted, but I, I don't want this to pass by. See, here's the difference. Just having observed this in my own observation is, if the mentality is okay, that's hygiene, and we'll let the hygienists do their thing, and I'll go check it, and all that kind of stuff. That that mentality then is the cause of the results in hygiene. Absolutely. And when there's a doctor that goes in and talks about it, like you're talking about it, not overwhelming the patient with, with all kinds of science, but when you're engaged and you're engaging with the patient on the importance of it and you're reinforcing where the doctor goes is where the practice goes. Absolutely. And, and I've seen this over and over again. Whatever you decide is important, is what ends up being emphasized by the rest of the team. And if hygiene is considered just a thing off to the side, then it will be a thing off to the side. But if you're behind it, then the whole team gets behind it. And that, I mean, I'm, I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but my opinion, yes, you got great systems, great protocols, all those things, because you're one of the most knowledgeable guys about periodontal disease in the country, and you believe it, and you talk about it with every patient. Am I wrong? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any of us, whether it's a comedian or will it, whether we go to a play or whether we're watching a show, if we can't, de if we detect passion in what somebody's speaking or doing, we engage. I mean, um, I, I was at church yesterday and we had a, a, a pastor that came over from India and he was just it's so enthusiastic about being able to be in our country and about all the things that were happening in his life. Uh, and, and I mean, you couldn't help but just lock in. And I think, you know, when, you know, in our practice, our, our hygienists do our new patient exam and they'll spend an hour, you know, with the patient, our appointments are 90 minutes and they'll spend an hour with the patient laying the groundwork, getting the data. And I think one of the things that's changing is the role of our dental hygienist here. You know, I think I would like to see the dental hygienist be the nurse practitioner of the oral cavity because they spend so much time with the patient. They develop the relationship. They get the information. Then they give me a wonderful summary about where the, what the M&M is. You know, what's, what matters most to this patient? What are they talked about? What is their health history? What are they linking to in terms of systemic issues that they might, might have? And so I go in there and I've basically already been preheated with everything. And my job at that point is just to engage with the patient and I'll be, you know, and just be so enthusiastic that they are taking these steps to get healthy. And there's not been a patient yet that doesn't understand that having a healthy mouth is, is critical to having, you know, a healthy body. And I think uh, one of the analogies not, may not use this with all patients, but I think it's a good one is, you know, diabetes is one of those things that's very prevalent in our society. And advanced diabetics have to worry about circulation problems. They have to worry about lesions. Uh, they have to worry about failing eyesight. I mean, they have a lot on their plate to worry about. But if there was a lesion, a diabetic lesion, and when they went in for their checkup, uh, the nurse just cleaned a lesion, 
and the doctor came in and said, all right, lesions clean, you're good to go. Uh, that's not treating diabetes, right? If you just focus on the presentation of a disease, you're not stopping the disease. And I think until we understand that, that the inflammation, the bleeding, the pocketing that we keep wanting to focus on is not the disease itself, but the presentation of what the disease is presenting. And some people present with a very aggressive case, but then you have those patients that don't present anything that have bone loss and constant issues uh, with tooth loss. So when we start believing that periodontal disease is a systemic disease, it's a body disease that presents in the oral cavity, but it affects the entire body because we're going through that. If you could come in there like this and be this yet, I mean, we believe that, and we want to make sure that you don't go down this pathway that your relatives did or your father did, that we want with that you can help control your cardiovascular health by the way you take care of your mouth. They see that, they get excited about it like you do, because everybody wants to be healthy. Not everybody wants a brand new smile. And so when you say, all right, well, how did you practice do as much in hygiene as it does in restorative? Because not everybody wants me to do restorative but I've not had a patient yet that doesn't want to be healthy, right? So we talk yeah, about, yeah. That's a shift. Okay, so here's, here's the question. If, if, I'm not, if I'm a dentist and I'm not as passionate about periodontal disease as you are, Dr. Neighbors, how do I get passionate? Well, I think you have to learn some things. You know, I think whenever I go to a CEU course, you know, um, I've done some implant education recently. And what do you do when you get fired up at a course, right? You want to come back home and you want to start implementing that. And so, like you said earlier, I, I think not only um, do we talk about what we're excited about, but we do what we're excited about or, or we do what we're interested in. And so, I, you know, I think you know, while in the past, maybe periodontal education has been a little bit lower on the totem pole for a lot of, of dentists because they don't actually do the work. They don't actually do that. But I think we still have to know that. We still have to know what that means. You know, what is the connection between heart disease and, and gum disease and diabetes and gum disease and all these cancers and, you know, the, in this, in this um, Men's Health article, they talk about uh, a specific microbe called called um, FN, uh, which I won't try to pronounce the name online, but it's Fusobacterium and then a long one after that, Nucleatum, I believe. But anyway, it, it is associated with certain types of the advancements of certain cancers. It doesn't necessarily cause the cancer, but it protects the cancer from chemotherapy. But it's yeah, it's associated with it. Absolutely. And, and so these are the things I get excited about because I'm looking at things that I'm like, yes, can I do this onlay? Or yes, I can whiten your teeth. And yes, I can do smile design. But when I start thinking about it in terms of, yes, we're in healthcare. And yes, this does affect your heart. Uh, and yes, I realize that you've had a family history of XYZ disease. And I do know that your mouth plays a role in that. While I don't do the treatment, I get just as excited about the fact that our team as a whole is able to help in this sort of healthcare uh, circle uh, that we're all in. And I've got more and more and more MDs that are getting on board with the oral cavity being a significant role player. And um, I had a talk with an OBGYN um, last week uh, who were going to be working some together here, not on that, but in 
in more of a, a nurse practitioner role here so we can literally start looking at healthcare from a dual relationship from the medical side and from the dental side and that's where i think you know the progressive dental practices are going to be is those that can not only fix the teeth but they really understand that correlation between the, the mouth and the body was that excited enough? all right yeah way, yeah i'm sold yeah. Here's, here's, here's my point is, and you said it, which is if you're not passionate about something, if you're not passionate about this, it's probably because you don't know enough about it to be, I mean, you can't Correct. be passionate and ignorant, right? You need to, right. you need to get some education and learn about the true nature of disease. And then the second thing I'm just going to add to that, Tommy, is how can you not be passionate about learning about something that will produce when you're not? Absolutely. I mean, as, just as a business I mean, owner, why, how, how could you not be passionate about something that will be producing and you don't have to do the work? It's crazy why people would not be all over this because we're, I mean, we're so used to being so hands-on that we sometimes lose sight of the other things that could be happening in the practice. And I'll tell you, I used to be so envious of my uh, business colleague friends that would literally have businesses scattered throughout town that would be generating revenue. And they were down in Destin, Florida while their businesses were right. open. And I was like, I can't even go eat lunch. You know, I can't go hardly go on a vacation. Right? <laughs> like, right. How does this, how does this work? And, and when you have hygienists, they're providers. If you look under them, are they, you know, team members, how are they coded as a provider? So when you have a provider that is not providing, then they're not really augmenting the business model. And none of this we do because it, it, it fits a business model. We really do it because it's there. I mean, the, the work is there. I mean, it, it's, I, I, I can't tell you how many statistic after statistic after statistic tells us that periodontal disease is rampant in our society to the tune of nearly half of our patients over age 30 have it. And as you said earlier, I bet a good number of a lot of practice would be 20% of their practice revenue comes from periodontal procedures. Yeah. When, I mean, how many patients in your practice are over age 30? It's a lot more than 20%. I'd be more along the line to say it's probably 90% for a lot of adult oriented practices or more. And so if you're not diagnosing anything I mean, your numbers aren't going to be there, but your patients are there uh, that need that. And so for us, I have three hygienists and, you know, we believe in treating disease and they know it and they're empowered by that and they're passionate about that. And that rubs off on the patients. And then basically I can go in there and the table is already set. Um, so I, I definitely could not do it without hygienists that weren't as passionate about it as I am. But I'll guarantee you they wouldn't be well, as passionate. Yeah. Well, they wouldn't be as passionate about it. Be if I right. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I can't tell you how many of a hygienist has been to a course and said that they've gone in, they've been passionate about anything, whether it's doing a composite or they recommend a treatment in, in some way, only to have their legs cut out from under them. When the dentist came in there, basically shot it all down. And so I think obviously we have to co-diagnose these things, but 
when there's disease present and our statistics show that, then we've got to do a better job of at least bringing it up. So it starts with you, starts with the dentist. That's why we're talking to who we're talking with today is, is it starts at the top. Everything else follows. Uh, anybody who doesn't get the message by listening to you needs to turn up their hearing aid. Right. <laughs> because, I mean, I get it. Every time I talk to you yeah. about this topic, well, I think uh, so. Two things. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, one of the things that you get excited about is is coursework, and I know there's so much emphasis now on coursework in terms of implant education, cosmetic dental education, cone beams, and things like that. But when you go to a course on perio, if you're going to a course to learn how to talk to someone about scaling and root planning better then that's not this kind of course, right? You have to look at a course like, like you and I do together that it's more about, about being the MD of the mouth. I mean, we really wanna understand the, the pathogenic nature of these things so that we can help people be healthier. And while we're not actually learning a mechanical skill set to do it, I, I think the skill set that we learn from that is very powerful in the knowledge that we have from that. And that's what it excites me so much is because I, I the more I learn and the, and the more that I look at our medical colleagues, uh, I want to mimic what they're doing in terms of getting bodies healthy. Anyway, I, I know you were going to say something, so I got a little. No, I get it. A little head of steam. So a um, couple, of, couple of recommendations. One is if uh, for those that are listening, if you have not read Dr. Neighbor's article that was in the Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry Journal uh, on cosmetic perio, uh, you can get a copy of that at nomorehygiene.com. So nomorehygiene.com uh, and get educated. Uh, that is the first step toward being passionate and giving everything in alignment. If your mentality is let the hygienist take care of it and we'll send the hygienist to a hygiene course, eh -eh, doesn't work that way. It's got to start from the top. The way you talk about it is the way your entire team will talk about it moving forward. So as a patient, uh, and I'm the eternal patient, as you know, uh, I am uh, as a passionate about this I think as you are in terms of what it means for overall health of America today, uh, it seems like every week there's more and more evidence coming out that the, the science just compounds around this whole science of the true nature of disease, inflammation, the interrelatedness of everything. So much of what's going on here impacts our total overall health. And you've taught me this and your dad reinforced it. He, he shared it with me the very first time that I met him is dentists are now the physician of the mouth, which implies we now, uh, dentists have an obligation to address whole health issues and it all goes back to periodontal disease. Absolutely. So thank you for leading the way. Uh, any other parting comments, words of wisdom, recommendation, if you had, if, if there were somebody starting out or somebody today that wanted to copy genius and do what you have done in their town, number one thing you would tell them to do is? Well, I would start, I would empower your dental hygienist. 
I mean, I think that segmented role of practice where we had a hygiene department and we had a restorative department, that needs to be over. I, I, I think learning together, um, and I'm not saying that, that the assistants in the front office, I'm just talking about there's been a, a sort of a separation between the dentist and the hygienist in terms of who does what. And I think bridging that gap and learning together and when you start to empower that side of your practice, it will actually start doing things that you didn't think it could do. And your, your confidence level in your hygiene team and what they can do uh, in, in, in the role of dental hygiene far and above being teeth cleaners. And I mean, I, I can't tell you how many hygienists has come up to, a, to us at the course and said, I'm tired of being a maid of the mouth. I'm tired of not making a difference. I'm tired of feeling I do the same thing every day, day after day after day. And then we wonder why they, they get burnout. But I think as a, as a co-diagnetician co and as someone that can really, um, really be on the front lines of treating disease and actually do it and actually make the difference. And all you've got to do is be there to support that person. I think there's a huge amount of gratification that comes from that all the way around. That's what I would do. Good words of wisdom. Thanks you, thank you, Dr. Neighbors, for leading the way and being our mentor of the month this month again. Uh, you can get a copy of Dr. Neighbors' uh, article uh, that was in the Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry Journal uh, at nomorehygiene.com. Uh, significance behind the name, by the way, is hygiene has, in dentistry has become to mean being a maid of the mouth, and that's not what it's about anymore. It's about treating disease. So we're gonna do more treating disease, no just mopping up the mess. So thanks for being with us today. Yeah, I appreciate it, Steve. Great, great example and making yourself accessible as well as your whole practice to all of dentistry so they can copy genius. I appreciate it, thank you. Thanks.